Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. With Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire back to Lafleur. Oh! The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. <laughs> there is a bomb. Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoins, on lui fait perdre la rondelle une passe devant. Et c'est bon. Ce sera la victoire des Canadiens. pour les Canadiens. Le troisième de l'histoire. You found the dogs. John, you found the dogs. He found the dogs! And all together, they worked a young team to the top. And now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup! Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground. Your premier gaming destination. It's gonna be sick. Marinero, the sick podcast on this Thursday, November 23rd. How is everyone doing tonight? I myself, I'm doing very, very well. Thank you very much. I want to thank everyone as I think a lot of people know through social media. You had a chance to see earlier today on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. Yes. It is my birthday. By the way, a very happy birthday goes out to Saku Koivu as well. Saku is two years younger than I am. Saku is 49. I am 51 today. And, you know, a couple of years ago, every time it was my birthday, it would actually, as much as it's always nice to get birthday wishes and messages, a part of me would be bothered by it because I was getting older and I didn't want to get older. I wanted to stay as young as I could, which obviously there's nothing you can do about it. It's going to happen. But today I thank God 51 isn't old, but some don't have the luxury of living a life until 51 years of age. Some don't even get to 40, some don't even get to 30, some don't even get to 20, and very, very tragically, some don't even get to like 10. So uh, today, I have a, a different outlook on life. I'm glad to be around for another year. I thank God every day for all of his blessings. I'm happy to be with you. I really am a fortunate man. I'm doing something that I absolutely love. 
which I would do for free, which I think was a problem because I think everyone knew that for the first 10 or 15 years that I was doing it. But I love it. I love it. And um, I, I feel blessed. I feel privileged to wake up, to talk sports, to do it on BPM Sports Radio, to do it on TVA Sports Television, to do it here on the Sick Podcast, to have a chance to meet so many people every day, to talk sports with them. Sports brings people together. And I find that what I'm doing, not only am I passionate about, but it brings people together. We have very great sports conversations. I met a gentleman in the street, uh, probably give or take, uh, maybe a couple of months ago now, Mario Charpentier. We kept in touch. Mario said, hey, I'd love to go out and talk sports with you. I said, anytime. He said, can I take you to supper? We exchanged text messages today. I'm going to supper with Mario next week. Gone to lunch with a bunch of people. Love meeting new people. And Craig Budden, that's going to join me in just a couple of minutes now, director of scouting with TSN, who's had a very, very long career covering the National Hockey League and working in the National Hockey League. I'm sure we'll tell you it's a, the same thing. It's a, it's a privilege for us to do what we do, and we get to talk sports, hockey, in this case with so many people. It's fantastic. So sp- listen, thank you, everyone. I tried to get back to pretty much everyone who got a hold of me today. Uh, to say happy birthday, and I think I got a ho- I got in touch with everyone that got a hold of me on Facebook Messenger, on text message, on Instagram Messenger, on Twitter, and uh, there's just a couple of Facebook posts that I didn't get back to yet, and I'll get back to them by the time I go to bed tonight. So thank you very much, and I'm going to celebrate my birthday with all of you tonight, and I'm very, very happy to be celebrating it with Craig Button. How you doing? Happy birthday, Tony. Uh, you know, my, my aunt, my, my grandmother lived to 100. My aunt, her sister lived to 95. My aunt at 95, she said, this was at 95 as long before, she said, age is not a time of your life. It's a state of mind. She said, uh, I know lots of young people that are old, and I know lots of older people that are really young. She said, keep the spirit, keep the spirit of youth with you always. Yeah, that's uh, that's great advice coming from someone who obviously who's lived it. I, I, you know what? I got some advice from someone yesterday who told me they had a family member who lived till ninety three, and their secret was uh, starting at age fifty. They had a shot of grappa every morning. So yeah, I'm probably going to go out and get myself some grappa, and we'll try that. <laughs> so my grandmother, so she she lived in her own condo until she was ninety, and then she went that's into uh, a, se- a seniors facility. But she she had she had brandy. She she liked to take it was um, she had her chips and she used to take like maybe five ten chips every night and she would roll the chip bag up and put the yeah. elastic band on it and then she would take just a little a little a little sip she'd have a little sip of brandy. Well, my aunt my aunt who who took my my mom's sister she would sit she would say she's telling oh yeah you know grandma has her brandy so we've replaced the brandy. You know, with uh, we've watered down the brandy. So I used to go and see my grandmother all the time. And one time I'm in there, I said, I, I said, how's your brandy doing? She goes, well, Marie, Marie thinks she's put, she's watered down my brandy and she opens up another drawer. She goes, this is where I keep the real brandy. But it's good. <laughs> 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 That's 
That's amazing. Well, I, I don't have any grappler brandy handy, but I do have Labitta TV, and I'll have one by the time the show is over tonight. We're going to do that. Uh, I'm, I'm going to um, I'm going to touch. Listen, I spoke with uh, Mike Johnson earlier today. We had a chance to record that conversation, so I'm going to get to that and play that for you. So you and I, I'm sure, will have a great chat talking Montreal Canadiens. Then I'll play the conversation with Mike Johnson. And, folks, before it's up, I'll be back right after that conversation and uh, with you for another couple of minutes. So let's get to it, Craig. Um, all right. So the Canadians win in Anaheim. And I had a feeling they were going to come out strong last night because Marty St. Louis wasn't happy with the way they lost in Boston. He called the team in his post-game comments. He called them soft on two different occasions. He skated them really, really good on Monday and Tuesday. He didn't want to call it, of course. He didn't want to call it a... Uh, uh, a punishment. He called it a responsibility. We talked about that. But so now they win in Anaheim by a score of four to three. Uh, Newhook and Montembeau were the guys who stood out the most. Montembeau stopped 30 at 33. Alex Newhook scored two goals. If there was ever any doubt on Alex Newhook and what his best position is, I think it's clear to me, Craig, this guy is more of a winger than he is a centerman. I, I think that he fits in better over there. You know, it's really interesting, Tony. We've seen this over the years. I've certainly seen it where, you know, players have, have been really good centers in their in their careers prior to coming to the NHL and even being drafted as centers. And they get to the NHL and the demands of playing center ice in the league are really significant. So you, you put the younger player over to the wing and then they settle in and then you start to see, well, geez, the skill hasn't gone away. And maybe they... You, you, they become better. Not, not, not that it's, you don't want a player to be comfortable. You want a player to be, you, you know, feeling comfort and playing in that position and not trying to do, not play a position where he's extended. And I think that that happens with lots of players. And certainly with Alex Newhook, you know, he's got the skill, he's got the skating. So you, you put him into a different spot where he can use that more on the offensive side of things. And, you know, defensive play is really important. And I think for Marty St. Louis to find Alex over there, I, I, I think it's a good fit. I think it's a good fit for him. I think it's a good fit for the team. And, you know, you think about, the, you know, he reads the play. I mean, he, he I mean, early in the game, Nick Suzuki lofted one into him right at the crease area. And you could just see – how Alex was reading off of Nick Suzuki. And so that ability to come off the off the wall and then go to the net and knowing Nick Suzuki's got you, uh, his, his sights on you, those are the types of things that, that, that create – and I think for Alex, I think it just it, it just fits him a lot better to play on the wing. He, he, he was terrific in the game. He scored, obviously, the first goal and then the winning goal. But he, he had a couple of other really good chances. I mean, a puck skipped over a stick that would have yeah. been another goal. The, the, the play earlier in the game I just mentioned with Suzuki, he, he, he was a dangerous offensive player in that game versus Anaheim. Yeah. Hey, you know, I, I came across a couple of tweets today from Anthony Martineau. He and I worked together. TVA Sports. I, I, I think he's uh, he's he's an up and coming star. Um, he had something really good on Mike Matheson because Mike Matheson, you, you know, you you see ups, you see downs, as you see in a lot of players in the National Hockey League. And he wrote something like this, and I'm going to translate it. He said, "Mike Matheson's not perfect. He's had some difficult games this year, but since January 31st." of 2023 among NHL defensemen. He is the third best scorer. He is the seventh 
most seventh best point man. He has the eighth most points on the power play. He's got the third most shots taken. And he's never been kept off the score sheet more than three games in a row. Isn't that something? I mean, it's oppressive is what it is. So, you know, you think about you think about Michael and, and the minutes he plays. So, you know, you, you started off the, the, the show talking about last night's game and certainly Samuel Montembeau was terrific and certainly Alex Newhook was terrific. Keep in mind, okay, they had two young defensemen, Jaden Struble playing in his first game in the NHL, and Gustav Lindstrom playing. That was their bottom pair last night. Yeah. So you knew going into the game, you knew going into the game, Gooley and Matheson were going to have to play more significant minutes, play play more demanding minutes in the game. And I think the two of them yeah, were, were just unbelievably terrific in the game. I'm, like, you know, in terms of the way they played the game, I mean, obviously, you know, you think about the goal scoring. I mean, they both scored. <laughs> so, you yeah. know, but the minutes they played, I mean, the, the, the hard minutes they played that, you know, made sure they got out of their zone cleanly and, and, and didn't allow Anaheim to really, you know, sustain pressure in the offensive zone. I mean, those types of, those types of plays and players are so instrumental to success. And it doesn't always show up in points, but it shows up in terms of successful uh, teams and successful play that keep you out of what I call the danger zones and get mm-hmm. you to play in, in, in the in the areas where you can take advantage. And so, you know, like if you gave me those numbers and you asked me who who, were, who who would be in that category, I don't think I would say Michael, but I think it's really, really saying something about his abilities when, when, when that is put together in such a manner because that is – you're talking about rarefied air. That's yeah. what you're talking about. There's, he doesn't have a lot of company. So speaking of tweets, I think you tweeted something about Caden Gooley, right? Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. What do you mean you think? Are you are you trying to lead the witness? <laughs> like, That's exactly what listen, I'm trying to do. Listen, listen. Let's just get it out of the way. There, there's an elephant in the room. I, I'm sitting there and I'm going like, I, I made a massive mistake. I made the mistake in, in our in our core four under 24 top 50 players. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I mean, we start working on this project. We're, we're working on. I'm I'm keeping track of players o- over time, like over months and last year, and trying to work on the list. We've been working on this for three weeks, and you know, I'm watching a game last night, and I'm thinking to myself, I, 
Like, what did you, how did this happen? And in between periods, I was ignoring Brian Mudrick and I was looking at my, at the list and I'm going over it. And I, I didn't see the forest for the trees. It's one thing to say, oh yeah, you know, somebody could have been in the top 50. He just fell out. He's a top 20 player of core four players under 24. So it's a massive mistake by me. Bottom line is, is, you know, sometimes you, you, you don't see the forest for the trees. Sometimes what becomes so obvious, just you, you, you miss. And I missed it. And it falls on nobody but myself. And, you know, Caden Gooley was in the top 30 last year in the, on, on our list and certainly is in the top 20 this year. And certainly uh, not one that you sit there and you go, oh, geez, how'd, like, you know, how'd, how'd you – like, and, and again, it's not like he, he's somebody that's hiding somewhere. He was right there in plain sight. I missed it. And so bottom line is, is Caden Gooley's a top 20 player and there's no question that he is. And certainly uh, whatever flack I got on social media or otherwise, I deserve. Craig, I look back at that 2020 NHL draft and the Canadians had the 16th pick overall. And there were some good players that were drafted after 16. Lucas Reichel to Chicago at 17 and Dawson Mercer to Jersey at 18 and Braden Schneider to the New York Rangers at 19th. Um, those are some pretty good players. There are others too as well, uh, not the only ones. But man, uh, Connor Zary is another guy that was drafted by uh, by Calgary at 24th. But what a heck of a pick that was by Trevor Timmons at 16th, Caden Gooley. Uh, and there was a lot of pressure on him with Hendricks LaPierre available to make Hendricks that pick, who ended up going 22nd to the Washington Capitals. I mean, you you go back, you look at that draft, and that's the absolute best pick you could have made at 16. It doesn't get better than that. Well, I think that Caden clearly uh, is established. I think he's a top pair defenseman. Now, can he be that pillar number one? Maybe. I mean, we'll continue to watch. And, you know, we've talked about Caden, you know, this year. I mean, I've watched Caden since he was 15 years of age. And I think Caden has this great understanding of what his game is. But he doesn't just accept a level of his game. He's always trying to push it a little bit higher. You know, when he was 15 years old, I mean, he was a top player. He could just skate and create all kinds of offense. But as, as time went on, it becomes harder to create offense. But what Caden did is, is he really dialed in to saying, okay, Okay, maybe the offense isn't going to be as high as maybe as I had, but I'm going to be a really terrific, you know, two-way defenseman. And I, I, I compared him a little bit as he as time went on into his draft year after his draft year, the Mark Edward Vlasic, Ryan McDonough. But I think now, I mean, those are two really good NHL players. Those are yeah. really good players. I, I think that Caden now has, 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 is, is capable of so much more. And, and, and I think that that's a credit to him, you know, kind of just – Stepping back a little bit in his game. Okay, I'm going to be really good here, and then I'm going to – like he didn't stop building his game, and he's not going to stop building his game. I think he's – like I do, he's a top pair defenseman, and he's clearly tracking to being a pillar number one. And you don't find those guys – they're hard enough to find in the top five, let alone in the second half of the of the first round. Just uh, like you said, Tony, an unbelievably great pick, a great selection in the draft. The first goalie that was drafted that year – was Yaroslav Askarov, 11th overall to Nashville. Now, there was talk that Askarov was being dangled last year in the NHL amateur draft, and the Montreal Canadiens probably could have ended up acquiring him. He's put up some really, really good numbers this year in the American Hockey League, of course, with Milwaukee. He's got a goals against average of two. 
He's got a save percentage of 921. Talk to me about this player. Do you think this player is still available if he was before? And if so, what it might cost to be able to get a goalie like this? Okay, so, you know, you look at teams, Tony, and I'm not going to tell you anything or any of the any of the listeners or viewers anything that they don't know. You know, goaltending is an essential part of any successful team. You know, a little bit of background on Yaroslav. Yaroslav was a, was a stud uh, coming up. And then, you know, he ends up being drafted. And, and quite frankly, his team in St. Petersburg buried him. They buried him. They didn't want him to leave. So what they did is – is they tried to get him to sign a longer-term contract. He refused because Yaroslav's goal was to play in the NHL. So what did they do? They, they didn't play him. They didn't let him play. He, he lost two years. I think he played six games in two years' time. And then, of course, now he's struggling and, you know, he can't find his game and, and whatnot. And, and I give Yaroslav so much credit because what he did is he, he kept working in other areas. He kept working in other areas outside of, of being able to play and, and, and dialed into it. And when the time came on his contract, he said, I'm out of here. And it's no accident. He was a good player last year in, in Milwaukee. He's even a better player this year. I think he's a number one goaltender. He, Dustin Wolf, and, and Jesper Wallstadt, I, I think they're all number one goaltenders. I, I think the price should be high to acquire goaltenders that I feel should you can be number one goaltenders. And I'll finish it with this. If a team doesn't have goaltending and you have a chance to get young goaltending like any one of those three, I would say you better, you better be ready to say yes to the price tag because staying no – is also hurting your team. And, and you know, I've said this. I love Devin Levi. I, I, Uka Pekalukinen, I, I, I think he's a good young goaltender. But for the Buffalo Sabres to move forward and for the New Jersey Devils to move forward, they need to get better goaltending. They need to – and Devin in time, I think Devin in two years' time might be that guy. But the Buffalo Sabres might be missing the playoffs for two more years. Yeah. And the, the, the New Jersey Devils are struggling because of goaltending. And, you know – to me, you have to find a way to get those goals. The Edmonton Oilers, I mean, they, they were staring Jesper Wallstadt right in the face. They didn't draft him. And what are they looking for? And I like Stuart Skinner. I, like, I, think, Stuart, I, I think Stuart Skinner had, has struggled this year. I think he's been failed by poor defensive play. But to finish this off, you don't have goaltending. You, you, it hurts your team. And I think Yaroslav Askarov is a, is a terrific goaltender. You start to look where you Soros is at at his age. It might just work out perfectly. The switch of Soros to become a mentor as Askarov is coming into the league, and then hopefully he can uh, he can he he can uh, uh, you know establish himself as a number one in the NHL. But I think he's got the potential. All right, this wouldn't be the first time that we talk about the Canadians goalie situation. At one point, it looked like Jake Allen could be trade bait. Now, based on what we're hearing, teams are probably more interested in Samuel Montembeau, who last year had established himself as the number one goalie on the team. This year showed up at camp, was not at his best. Allen got the vote of confidence. He got the nod for game one, which usually goes to the guy that the coach thinks is the number one goalie on the team. But if we take a look at Allen's last couple of performances and couple them with Montembeau's last couple of performances, including last night's big performance where he made a couple of huge stops, probably one of which was the Canadians goalie save of the year versus Vetrano on a two-on-one. It looks like Montembeau has reestablished himself as the Canadians number one. So there's been talks that Edmonton are monitoring the Canadian situation with Montembeau, monitoring those contract talks. My question to you is because we just threw out a bunch of goalie names in the last couple of minutes here. 
If you're Ken Holland, if you're the Edmonton Oilers, which goalie in the National Hockey League or outside the National Hockey League, based on everything you have on your team, based on your players, based on their age, based on the window, based on when you have to win, which one goalie would be your number one target? Well, that could okay, be available, so, obviously. Well, well, I mean, so if you look at it, and I look at it this way, so it, how many number one goaltenders are out there? Like, you know, okay, so I, I can sit here and I say, I you know, Yaroslav Askarov, Jesper Wallstadt, Dustin Wolf. I think they, they can be number one goaltenders. The Edmonton Oilers aren't, aren't in a position right now to take a chance on a number one goaltender, on, on a future number one goaltender. Stuart Skinner was a finalist for the, for the Rookie of the Year last year. He was on the all-rookie team. Let's not forget where Stuart Skinner was at and, and, and where he's progressed. <coughs> Excuse me. So, you know, it's not just the goaltender. So, you know, if you can get a clear number one, then I, then I would say then go and do it. But I don't think I, – I don't, teams aren't ready to give up number one goaltenders. I think if you phone the, uh, the, the Nashville Predators, th- they might be saying, well, you know what, we might be considering trading you Soros if they, if they believe in, 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 in Askarov. And if I'm the Edmonton Oilers, okay, how are we going to get this done? Because you Soros is a top-notch goaltender and would absolutely help their team. I, I can't imagine that Nashville's in that position to trade them. So now you start to think about, okay, we have Jake Allen. Who can come in and help Jake Allen? Or, 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 or who can help Stuart Skinner? And I, I, I've said it all the way through. I, I think Jake Allen would be the best goaltender. Now, now obviously, he has a no-move clause, no trade, and he can choose that. I'm just saying from terms of Edmonton today – and, and what they could use, I think Jake Allen would be the perfect goaltender. I read names about players that would that could go to Edmonton. I don't want any of them. The only one I would want is Jake Allen. I, and I've heard names like James Reimer and Mackenzie Blackwood, and I don't want them. And and the Carter Hart situation is such that why would any – I mean, there, there's a cloud hanging over Carter Hart's head because of the 2018 World Junior situation. So why would the Edmonton Oilers, I don't care if he's from there, why would they go and trade for Carter Hart and then maybe in time, he, he you know, uh, th- through the investigation and, and, and through the reporting that comes out, the reports that the teams have, uh, that the leagues ha- have done, uh, you know, why would you go and do that? So I, Jake Allen to me is the most realistic. I can talk about you, Soros. I, I, I think, I mean, if there was one other guy that I would look at if I'm the Edmonton Oilers, and, and, and I would have to go and do a lot of work. And I think he's a terrific – he's been a terrific young goaltender. He, he ended up, you know, having to uh, uh, go through the, uh, the behavioral uh, program with the NHLPA, and that's Spencer Knight. I think Spencer Knight has is is, is, is got everything to be a number one goaltender. But, you know, you have to go and you have to and say, okay, we're satisfied that Spencer can come into our group. I, I do think that he – you know, Soros goes without saying – but I do think that Spencer Knight, if you can't get uh, Jake Allen, you might have to look at uh, – it's not might. Spencer Knight would be definitely worth investigating. The other guys right. that, I, that, yeah. that I hear mentioned, not mm-hmm. interested in them. Not inter- I don't need James Reiner. I don't want Mackenzie Blackwood. I don't want these guys. We're almost, what, 25% of the season in for the Montreal Canadiens, for most teams, actually. So 25% in, if I would ask you, uh, based on what you've seen from them, where are they finishing at the end of the year? What's most realistic? Edmonton? The Canadian. The Canadian. Oh, I think I, 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 you, you know, you look at, 
you look at where they're at. I mean, they're, 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 they're going to be playing important games as time goes on here. And that's like, those are steps in the right direction. Tony, I think if they can have 82 points or 80 points or somewhere in that range of points, I, I think that that would be considered a, a, a really highly successful year. Now, does that mean they finish seventh? Do they finish sixth? Do they, do they finish eighth? I mean, I, I, I don't see them as a, as a top five team in, in, in their division or a top four team in their division or even a top division. But could they get the six? Yeah, they could get the six. But, you know, I, I, I think it's more about how, how they're playing, how they're progressing. And, and, and there, there's some really good steps being taken. I mean, you, you know, we haven't talked about Jaden Struble, but Jaden Struble, you know, he, he, he creates another – eye-opening situation for the for the Montreal Canadiens going wow okay look at what where he's at and you know you know injured players come back from the injury list you know Jaden might go back to Laval but you know what you, you can never have enough good players and, and Montreal has a lot of good young players I mean when we when we do their list of players I mean you know we we, we rank them double A A B's and, and B's are second pair defensemen uh, and second line uh, forwards; those are good players, and Montreal has a has a has a has a real deep group of prospects in in in, in the goal, in in the, in the defense, and in, in up forward. So I, I think that everything you're doing is, is is about progression, and I see that. But eighty, I mean, let, let me put seventy to eighty-two points, seventy-eight, seventy-eight to eighty-two points. Got it. I, I, I think that would be a terrific year for the Canadians. So they probably finished top bottom ten in the league. So those prospects yeah. that you just talked about, though, how many are home run hitters in your opinion? Are there any? Uh, if I'm going to put a if I'm going to put a bet on anybody, it's going to be on Joshua Wah. I think Joshua Wah could be a home run hitter. I think Joshua Wah has uh, has the, has the ability and and the talent and the potential. To, to be a, a, a real significant player, like a, a player that can be a difference maker offensively. I don't think that Joshua gets enough credit for being a really good two-way player. He can kill penalties. He's quick. He's fast. He can play with, uh, you know, smart players. He can play with good players. So th- that would be the one player that I would bet on when you, when, when you use home run, you know, yeah. we're not talking, we're talking about home. I think Joshua Watt could be the guy. Now, could Lane Hudson be that guy too? Perhaps he could be. Perhaps I Lane gonna, Hudson. I was could... I was going to ask you if Lane Hudson could be the next Quinn Hughes. Yeah, no, I don't see it. I don't, don't see, see Lane it, Hudson. Eh? No, I see Lane Why Hudson. Not? As... Why not? Tell I, me. I don't think he's not as dynamic as uh, Quinn Hughes. He's not as dynamic. Uh, I see him more like Tory Krug. That's where I. That's where I see Lane as, and and I think Lane is a really good player. And he's going to, I mean, like most players need support and they need the right partners. But I, but that's what I see. I see Lane is more like a Tory Krug. Not, I don't see him anywhere near Quinn Hughes. I'd be happy if he was somewhere in between both of them. Oh, yeah. Oh, and he might yeah. be. And he might be, uh, Tony. But like, but, but he, I, I, he, like, I think he, he could be a home run hitter. He could, he could be a big time hitter. I, I think he handles the puck better than Tory Krug. And I think he's got more offensive instincts. I think, but you're the director. I'm, you're the director <laughs> well, of scouting, not me. Right? <laughs> don't, I mean, don't let the title fool you, Tony. Don't let the title fool you. I mean, I, I, hey, listen, I, I love Lane Hudson. I love him. Like, don't get me wrong here. I don't love let my him, title but... fool you either. I'm not the host of the podcast. I'm actually the janitor for the company. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, they, so you go into the closet, get your tools for the for your trade, and then you just happen to find a microphone and do your stuff, right? Yeah. But but I do. I love Lane. I love his mind and 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 everything that he does. It and you know and and so you're right. Like could, could he fall if he fell in between uh, Quinn Hughes and uh, and I, I think the big question for me on Lane could he be closer to Adam Fox? Because Adam Fox has got the great brain. And, and and that's what Lane possesses. So could he could he pro, could he progress to to that level of player? And and, and you know I think that if he, if he does, he's another home run hitter. Yeah, Pierre Maguire joined me on the podcast several days ago, and uh, he said he's had a chance to watch Lane Hudson on a couple of occasions. And the first guy that comes to mind for him is Adam Fox, and another prospect that he's high on as far as the Canadians are concerned. Is goalie Jacob Fowler? It's high on him. He says that's that's the goalie of the future. I can't wait to find oh, out. I, I worked for a long time with uh, a dear friend of mine and a great goaltending mind, Tim Bernhardt. And and Tim said, you, you know what? You got to draft goaltenders. You got to draft them. You you, you got to make sure that you're patient with them and then let them develop and grow. And and, and you can take them in different areas of the draft. So here's Jacob, who really progressed last year, playing really well at you know in the NCAA, and you know he he's he, he's somebody that needs time. Let him have that time. Let him take that time to grow. And you know when that future is, and I, I mean I think that Jacob's three years away from being able to show uh, you, you know that he might be ready to take those steps to the to to, to pro hockey. But you know when you have those players in your pipeline. You know, the time to draft them is now when you need them in three years or four years' time. When you need them in three years' time, if you don't have them, you're in trouble. And teams have to be able to recognize, you know, how, how your pool of, of, of goaltending prospects lines up and, and then go from there. Last question, and then I'll let you go. It's always a treat. Cole Caulfield has scored one goal in his last 12 games. Um we knew that under Dominic Ducharme, he had gone through a really bad sequence. I think he had one in 30 or something like that. And then Marty St. Louis came in. And I think since Marty St. Louis was coaching at one point, they had hit something like 50 goals in 82 or 83 games. It was amazing. And then obviously once again, he's slumping again, one goal in his last 12. Um, the Canadians have at center, they, they can choose from Suzuki, Monaghan, uh, Evans, Newhook, if they want to use him at center, and Dvorak. Monaghan, with the exception of a couple of shifts, has not played with Caulfield. A lot of the Canadians fan base are looking at Caulfield slumping in terms of goal production. They're saying, why don't you just invert Dvorak and Monaghan and you can have Monaghan, Caulfield, and Slavkowski. How much do you put it on maybe the centerman not getting the winger going, or in this case, should the winger be getting himself going? Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chilling by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? 
Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Well, I, I know one of our favorite players, Tony, and I know he's a favorite player of yours. He, he was my idol growing up. That's Guy Lafleur. There, there's very few play-driving wingers, very few, <laughs> in the history of the game. And, you know, so, so most wingers are dependent on, you know, the chemistry and the interplay with, with, with really good centers. And, and, and that's just the way it is. There's nothing, there's nothing negative about that. That's just, that, that tells you about the uniqueness of play driving. Oh, there we go. There it is. Yep. There he is. Uh, but very unique, very unique are, are play driving wingers. I, I, I think Cole and, and, I, watching the game, doing the broadcast last night on TSN, you know, watching Cole, I thought he had some good opportunities and some good looks, and you know, and and you know, pucks off and pucks off that got blocked and whatnot. One of the things that I like, and I, and I didn't do the work today, but I'm going to do the work and I will send it to you. Is you know, when he when Marty came in, one of the things he told Cole is, "You're too far away from the net." And on my eye test last night, I thought he was too far away from the net. And yeah. what happens is, is when you're and, – and Cole knows. Cole's, Cole's an elite goal scorer. Cole knows, okay, i I got to get closer to the net. So now he's got to take an extra second to, to get closer to the net before he shoots. Well, that gives the defenses an opportunity to block the shot and to get in those lanes and deflect the shot and everything. I think that Cole, based on my – and I'll do the work on, on the distance, but – he to me watching him last night. He he he's he's three feet too far from the net. Now three feet too far from the net when you're trying to move into a better shooting position. Three feet is a second. A second defensively allows shots to get blocked and shots to get deflected. I think that that's one of the biggest areas. He, he's getting the puck. He's getting open. He's working to get open. It's just not. It's it's just not into the into the sweet spot of the offensive zone. When Max Pacioretty played for the Montreal Canadiens. Um, he was labeled as a perimeter player. Not bad, though, for a guy who scored the amount of goals that he scored. I mean, Patrick <laughs> had seasons with 30 goals, 33, 35, 37, 39. I mean, he led the Canadians in scoring quite a bit during his time that he was here. But to not be a perimeter player and to drive the net and to go to those areas, it hurts to go there, Craig. Right, it's it's not everyone is willing to take the punishment. It hurts now. I, you know, I don't question Caulfield's character at all because with his size, if he didn't have some sort of character, he's not making it to the big league. But would you, would you, would you label him as a perimeter player for now? Well, I mean, it, it depends how 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 close you want to get to the definition. You know, so I'm sitting here saying that he's three feet out of the sweet zone. And, you know, that, and Marty, Marty, when he came in, he reminded him, no, like, I, I, listen, Cole Caulfield doesn't have to drive the net. He doesn't have to push. He, he's just got to get a little bit in a little bit more inside. He's got to get a little bit, you know, not at the top of the circles, three feet down. 
He can't be at the dots. He's got to move three feet in. And I, I can see him knowing that he's like he's not shooting from out there. He, he, he's trying to get the puck into there. But he needs to get the puck three feet sooner, and then he's not going to get his shot will take off. He's got a great release. He's got an accuracy. But when, when you give defenders an extra second and you give them an extra three feet or two and a half feet to be able to block shots and get into the way, you know, that's going to take away from your effectiveness. Listen, William Nylander, yeah. he scored 30 goals a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And then he started out the year. And, I, and, I, and I, we, we, did the, we did the thing. Well, William Nylander was not getting to the inner slot, the, the slot, the inner slot area. So no, no kidding, your, your shots were down or your goals were down. But once William Nylander got back to those areas, guess what's happened? His, his goals have gone up. Once Cole Caulfield, and he's not a perimeter player in my view. Once he gets back into that area of the, of the ice, just three feet closer, two and a half yeah. feet closer, he'll start scoring again. That's where the goals are scored in the National Hockey League from the areas you're talking about. Unless, of course, you're yep. Alex Ovechkin or Brett Hall, then you can you can be a yep. little bit more further from the net and score them. Craig, always a treat for me. This is a birthday gift having you tonight uh, on this uh, November 23rd. Thanks so much. Have a great night, my friend. 51 candles. 51 candles to you. Be young. And, 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 and young and youth starts in the heart and in the mind. So always be thinking young. Great. I, I'm thinking very young. Thank you for that, Craig. Have a great night, okay? Yeah, you too. Thank you. All right. Earlier today, like I mentioned to you, I had a chance to catch up with Mike Johnson, former Montreal Canadian, of course, analyst on TSN. Here you go. And stick around because I'll be back after the conversation. The four-game losing streak is a thing of the past with the Montreal Canadiens winning by a score of 4-3 to three in Anaheim last night. As Marty St. Louis said at the end of the game, it wasn't pretty, it wasn't easy. They're not all Picassos, but a win is a win. That was uh, Glenn Healy's famous saying, sometimes you got to paint a Picasso, sometimes you got to paint the barn. And so maybe that was a bit of a barnyard. But listen, a win is a win. And it, it is, we understand where Montreal's at. And we'll get into kind of how they're getting a little bit irritated with not winning. but. You still need to win games, not so much for the standings, not, but you need to win games for, for morale, for maintaining the kind of level of, of growth that you're trying to achieve. So, yeah, it was a pretty significant win, and Anaheim's not a bad team this year. They're certainly much better than they were last year. And to see you know, Newhook grab a couple goals, like different guys, Caden Gooley continue with his progression. Montembeau, I don't know if he's on the block or not, but you know he's helping his, his cause as he plays pretty well, some highlight reel saves. So, uh, you know, you go on the road, you're going to be on the road for a little bit. It's good to start off with a win, and they'll be feeling much better about themselves today. Mike, speaking of which, over the past couple of days, we were taking a look at some stats. Prior to last night's win in Anaheim, the Canadians hadn't won a game in regulation since October the 23rd, a 3-1 win at Buffalo. So, if, you know, today would have been a month. So talk about right. a much-needed win in regulation, number one. You snapped the four-game losing streak. They played a terrible game in Boston last week on Saturday. Marty St. Louis didn't appreciate it. He basically said that his guys were soft. He said that on two occasions and used the term mou en français, which is soft in English. You could tell that Marty was fuming. Like I was seeing some of that smoke that I have here in the studio behind me. I was seeing it come out of, Marty. I was seeing it come out of Marty's ears, right? But So talk to me about that, because when Marty was hired and first given the job on an interim basis, he was told the plan by Kent Hughes and by Jeff Gordon 
Marty, we're in a rebuild. The goal is going to be to basically try and make these guys better individually, make them better as a group, make them better collectively, to one day, hopefully, we can raise the IQ, the hockey sense, and we can have this team playing the way we want it to in X number of years when we believe we could be a very competitive year, a uh, very competitive team, and we want to be that for an extended period of time. Having said that, even though Marty knows that they're in a rebuild, even though the whole city knows they're in a rebuild, Marty skated them pretty hard for a couple of days this past week. You can tell he wasn't happy with the performance in Boston. You can also tell he wasn't happy they had lost four games in a row. So talk to me about that, that, you know, he knows the plan, but yet a coach wants to win games. So how hard is that for him, you think? Well, I mean, I think Marty can't change who he is and how he's been so successful in his hockey career both playing and afterwards, because he's hyper-competitive. He's hyper-competitive. Even amongst NHL players, when we played together, he was unusually wildly competitive. And you can understand the program, and you can be on board with the program. But that doesn't make losing fun, tolerable, acceptable. And I think where Marty would come at you with is, like, we know we're going to lose games, and we may not make the playoffs. But there's ways to lose that would be less irritating, infuriating than others. And what I think he's seen drifting into their game is some of the bad stuff where not only they're losing, they're losing not playing well. They're losing doing things that they want to eliminate from their game. They're losing playing games that they're trying to get rid of. The games we saw before Marty arrived, they were, we saw a whole bunch of them. And that's what he can't stand. And Marty's right. He, he understands the power of his words. And when he used the word move soft, not many you can call an NHL player that will sting more than soft, maybe selfish. Like those are the kind of things that when you call a team or an individual that, that sticks and that stings and he does it on purpose. And then, then he goes out and he skates and he brings them back to basic. I'm reading about practice work. You know, they're doing line changing drills, line changing drills. Cause he's driving home. I don't know who we think we are you guys think you are we're not good enough collectively to, to 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 be anything less than our absolute best and our absolute best will still not unlikely make the playoffs but we have to be way more professional in our consistency and that's what he's trying to get at and and that was the whole message of the week leading up to this game of his frustration of his language of his practice and why he would have been pleased that you know it wasn't perfect against anaheim but they played well enough. They got a result. They cleaned up a couple of things that they're working on, yeah. uh, and they'll feel better about themselves. Pierre Maguire has said on a couple of occasions that when he was an assistant coach with the Pittsburgh Penguins, that second year that they won the back-to-back Cups, uh, which was 92, uh, mm-hmm. in 92, Scotty Bowman would have them practice line changes often. Now, mm-hmm. it's not often coaches make you practice line changes. It usually happens if A, the team gets caught with too many men on the ice too many times. You want to polish that up. You want to fix that a little bit. Or you find that the guys are really slow to get off the ice and you want them to break those bad habits. So you would think that's why Marty did it. My question to you is, um, did you have coaches practicing line changes when you played? I got to tell you, I'm thinking back now, Tone. I don't remember ever, like we might have done 
a drill where they yeah. encourage you to change hard and not just kind of cruise to the bench and practice. But not a, I don't think I've ever done a drill specifically to work on line changes, making sure, you know, when I go off the ice, you jump. And if I'm the right winger, then the left winger jumps out, he might fill in. Like, you know, those kind of rotations you work on. No, because it's like here. But I think this is what it's about, though. Yes, it's about working on that. If you make too many mistakes, if you get called for too many men on the ice, that kind of thing. But what it is, it's an example and an easy one for players to understand of attention to detail. Because it's a rare static situation. You're coming off. I'm going on. It never really changes. Like you can put, we can do a four check and there's a million different variations of what might happen and what you might have to read. When you're changing, there's only, it's a binary thing. You're off, I'm on. That's how it works. Yeah. And so I, I think that kind of attention to detail, say we're going to simplify it and, and work on stuff that is, that is, should be obvious, but it's symbolic of a lot of the attention to all the details that we're getting away from. Uh, so sometimes you got to dumb it down to the very most basic level uh, to get your point home. And, and they did that, but you know, Marty is calculating. Marty is smart. Like he's not, he gets frustrated. I, I think he probably was frustrated and he gets emotional and he's passionate, but he's always smart. And he always, there's a, there's a method to what he does, the language he uses, the way he practices, and he's still not lost on him what the objective is, which is growth. Kent Hughes said something a year ago, and he was so brutally honest, I found it so amazing that he said it. And he said, look, we don't want to lose too many games in a row. We don't want to win too many in a row either. <laughs> you know, I couldn't yeah. believe he yeah. said it, but he said it. And, and you know what? So he said what he's thinking. They're in a rebuild. They want to take some steps. They don't want to make losing acceptable. Uh, acceptable. But at the same time, they don't want to go on a run. And then all of a sudden, you end up finishing 22nd instead of finishing 27th. And then you just dropped, and all of a sudden, it affects your draft position. All right. I'm wondering what they're thinking this year. And I'm wondering can a general manager? have that discussion with his coach when the coach wants to win every game. I mean, I'm trying to, I'm trying to picture how that goes about. Do you have any idea on what the approach is? I mean, can the general manager suggest to the coach to play some players a little bit more to play other players a little bit less? How do you see I don't it? know. If the, I don't know if the moment tone, I, I don't think so. I don't think can't use go down and say Marty tonight, um, play the fourth line for 18 minutes. Like, you know what I mean? I, you can talk about goaltending usage. Absolutely. Generally speaking, coaches make the lineup and, the, and you know, with the players that the GM has given them, the GM doesn't come down and say, put Mike Johnson in. We know he's no good, but put him in anyways. Um, it, rarely would that kind of thing happen. But I, I just think like on a, on a macro level, on a bigger picture level, when Marty and Kent get together and they're having a conversation, you know, they'll, they'll discuss these kind of things and not how do we make sure we're not, losing but just say how are we prioritizing development over wins and so maybe whatever uh josh anderson's having a good game and he should be out there at the end of the game but maybe we want cole caulfield to get some of those experiences like, like even though he might not let's remember we're still we need to get these guys those moments like that kind of conversation as opposed to saying you know play somebody who doesn't deserve to play and then the obvious one listen, we're going to trade and they got three of them, so X, Y, or Z. We're going to trade one of them. We got to make sure that guy plays. Like, that kind of conversation can happen. 
But I, I don't know. I think I admire Kent Hughes for being candid. It's what we yeah. all know. They don't want to lose too much and, and, and kind of erode, you know, the good stuff they're trying to build. But they also are not ready to win now, and they don't want to hurt their own draft picks. Like, that's being very candid. But I think it would be sort of a part of an overarching conversation, not a direct, hey, do this because we want to lose. I think you made uh, the next thing I'm going to talk about pretty easy because you opened the door. I'm going to walk right through it. The three-goalie system. It's been yep. here since training camp. It's gone on for these you know, first 19 or 20 games of the season here. And over the last couple of weeks, uh, we're hearing more and more that the Montreal Canadiens and the Edmonton Oilers are talking. Now, I would imagine the Canadians are not the only team the Oilers are talking to because the Oilers have to talk to everyone right now the way they're going. Canadians have three goalies. Caden Primos played three games. Jake Allen started the season as the quote-unquote number one after he had lost that a year ago to Samuel Montembeau. It looks like with Montembeau's performance yesterday, he solidified himself as the number, reestablished himself as the number one again. Based on what Elliot Friedman says, Primo could interest Edmonton, Montembeau, could interest Edmonton. Edmonton is really um, looking at what's going to happen here with Montembeau's contract. He's a UFA at the end of the year. Montembeau and his group are talking to the Canadians about a contract extension. And Montembeau does what he did last night, and the Edmonton Oilers lose again, this time versus Carolina. They give a five. My question to you is, how would you monitor this entire situation with the three goalies and if Edmonton wants Montembeau what would you do so okay it's a fascinating conversation I guess this is why you invested the seven weeks of three goalies which nobody likes right because you're hoping a team except for the spot. third goalie well yeah for Jake Caden Primo's like um I've been on the ice three times in eight weeks it sucks but yeah. yes but this is why this is why you put it through it and maybe you stunt growth because you're waiting for a team to become desperate and overpay for one of your guys. Now I, I, you know, Fridge will say what he says. I can't imagine the Oilers rolling the dice on Caden Primo, not in a million years, not where they're at. It just doesn't make sense. I agree with you. I agree with you. So, so we're talking Jake Allen or Montembeau. Now Jake Allen makes way more than Montembeau and he's got term on his contract. That's a problem. Montembeau is clearly the most attractive option to Edmonton contractually. What he, what he's owed, where it goes next year, and maybe even what it's going to cost to get him. So I think it would be Sam Montembeau. Now, if I'm Montreal, i got to make a decision here. Where do I see Samuel Montembeau's future with our organization? Is he our, is he our next number one? Do I believe in him more than Caden Primo? Like Jake Allen presumably will be gone when he's not gone, but like he's not going to be around at Montreal But when they're, when they're good. No. And so when, when his contract's up, he will whatever. He'll go somewhere else or make less. They'll need a number one goalie. If you think Montembeau can be that, then you would have to get paid a ton tone, like a lot, by Edmonton. Now, they might be willing to pay a lot because they are that desperate, but, you know, I don't want a third rounder for Montembeau. It's not, it's not no. worth it. Of course you know, not. you got to give me something of consequence. It won't be Evan Bouchard, but it'll be some other top prospect or maybe even a first-round pick or maybe it's a second rounder with an option if they extend them, like one of those kind of things. But it'll have to be a lot. And even if it was a lot, my guy if i think montembeau can be our guy for the next five years 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. They're hard to find. Like we, there, there seems to be not enough goalies in the NHL. So if you've got one you like, that you believe in, that you can afford, that wants to stay where you are, You'd have to blow my socks off to get that deal done. So, Ken, you should be driving a hard bargain. Uh, but on the flip side, if you think, okay, you know, we like him. We think he's a solid NHL goalie. We can get another solid NHL goalie like a Jake Allen. Like, they're basically the same. Yeah. Then, yeah, give me the first rounder and make it not lottery protected and hope Edmonton crashes and burns. Like, yeah, you could do that, but you would – you got to make sure you get paid a lot because Edmonton's desperate and, you know, Montembeau's a good goalie. That could help Montreal not only this year but into the future. It's tough because Edmonton's up against the cap. We're taking a look at a couple of teams, especially Edmonton, yeah. with not a lot of cap room here. And now there could be talk of maybe if a deal is done, it could be a blockbuster. And and I, I you might have to, ha- you might need a third team to dance here. You, you might now. Montreal still has a little bit of space, not much, but a little yes. bit. You know, they could probably retain a little bit and then make it a little bit easier to absorb. If they want to take Campbell off their hands for buyout purposes, like that's a big commitment. But then that would up again what the return would be. You know, Montreal has had the luxury of financial flexibility. So few teams have that. Like not only do they have cap space, but they have an owner that's willing to spend the cap space on players that won't play for them to get more in return to help their team in the future. So um, yeah, it, it this is part of the problem for Edmonton. They got a complex cap problem that they're going to try to solve anybody who makes any money on that team has a no move clause or no trade clause and i imagine montreal might not be on all their available list the guys who do have no trade so um yeah you might need a third team but you guess what you know whose problem that is yeah that's their problem you gotta go sweeten it with somebody else you want our goalie go figure it out we're here we you know what we want for him you make it happen we can talk but the good news is, Tone, for I think for the goaltenders for the whole situation in Edmonton, yeah, they got like they got like ten days before their season will be over. Like literally, their season will be done by Christmas if they don't turn it around right now. So this conversation will not linger for six weeks; it'll linger for six days, and then it has to be figured out. Unless they become the semi- unless they become the second coming of the St. Louis Blues, who well, are last in the league back on January third. But I think that happened like once in a hundred years or whatever. Well, it was. Th- there's a reason why that was the first time that's ever happened. Are we going to expect it twice in seven years? I'm guessing. It, I'm going to bet against it. Yeah. So um, they could want that, but you know, with eight eighty-two goaltending, they ain't getting it. That's for sure. No, you're right about. But but Mike, the way they play. So Jason Greger gave me a call yesterday. And he said, is Montembeau the guy for Edmonton? And I said, well, I mean, it all depends on what you're asking me here. The guy to get you into the playoffs, the guy to win you the Stanley Cup, the guy to win you the Stanley Cup, I don't think so. 
But the guy to get, I mean, do I think he's better than what the Edmonton Oilers have? Yes. Yes. But the way they play, he'll go there and he won't look good. Yeah, that's part I of the problem. They got to fix the way they play more than they got to fix their goaltending. Well, no, they got to fix their goaltending first. Yes, but they fix the way they play. But you're like, it's not like you could throw whatever. Take a top flight. Put throw UC Soros in net in Edmonton. Yes, he's not going to look the same. No, the chances they're giving up and the quality and the backdoor and the rebounds. He nobody can stop that. It's not a goaltending issue solely. It is both. And you're right. It's not like you just plug in a new goalie. They're all fixed. They're not that at all. Uh, they got to fix the way they play, the way they defend. Yeah. confidence, all of it, um, not just goaltending, which will be part of the challenge for whoever it is, whether it's Mackenzie Blackwood, Sam Montembeau, James Reimer, Alex Nadelkovich, whatever guy they put in there. Yeah. You know, he's not going to be supported maybe. Well, Blackwood is in San Jose, so it would be better than him. But other yeah. than that, he won't be supported very well, especially initially. Yeah. Take a look at Ken Hitchcock's Columbus Blue Jackets back in the day, right? I mean, the goalie stats were unbelievable. Yeah, eight, eight shutouts his first year? Mason and Pascal LeClaire. I mean, those goalies, their stats were amazing. They would have gone to another team, played for another coach. They wouldn't have had those stats, but at the end of the day, they're still the same goalies, right? Look at Cam Talbot. Look at L.A. All the guys who come out of L.A. in that very friendly market, and Cam Talbot couldn't make a save in Ottawa. Some of it was injury-related, but they don't play very good defense. He goes to L.A. Maybe he's playing better. But the team in front of him is playing so much better that he looks good. Yeah. And, and this is a, you know, goalies would, should appreciate that. And the Oilers should appreciate that as well. You know, what makes this thing also much more interesting is that I look at Montembeau and I'm no goalie expert by any means. Right. But I think on any given night, he can look like a number one. Uh, he can look like a one B. He can look like a two A. He could look like a two B. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the way the Vegas Golden Knights won the Stanley Cup last year and the way Colorado won it a couple of years ago, nobody thought Vegas had the best goalie in the league. Nobody thought Colorado had the best goalie in the league. No one thought they were anywhere close to being the best goalies in the league. And some of the guys who were the best goalies in the league either didn't make the playoffs or were knocked out of the playoffs right away. And yet these guys ended up winning the Stanley Cup. Like, I don't think the goalie position is anywhere near as important as it used to be. I mean, goalies used to win Stanley Cups before. They don't anymore. No, I mean, I, I think... So I, I think there's been a, an exodus of a whole bunch of great goalies. Like, think about all the guys from Carey to Lundqvist to Pekarene to Tugarask that have all sort of stepped aside the last few years. And I yeah. don't know if they've been replaced by younger guys of that caliber. Not yet. I think... The difference between the bad goalies today and the good goalies, Bobby Lou, of course, another one for sure. Marty Berder, all you go down the road, the whole bunch of guys. But so the difference between the bad goalie and the good goalie today is not nearly what it was in '85, where the good goalies were here and the bad goalies were like junior. Like it was not like it wasn't even close. Where Patrick Watt came, you're like that guy's better than everyone. That's not how it is anymore. You can take Aiden Hill was what fifth on the Vegas depth chart. Yeah, and he was incredible because that's how good they are. Darcy Kemper, I think, is quite a good goalie, but you know, a lot of people don't have him as a top five best in a guy. Correct. I had no problem running to the Stanley Cup when the team's that strong in front of you. And I think a difference in the way teams are building their rosters now, Tone, is that you have eighty-two and a half million dollars to spend. So we can spend eight million dollars on a starting goalie and hope that he's pretty good, or we can spend. $3 million on a goalie and $5 million more on players 
And would we get a better net result? Because the goal is going to be closer, but our roster is going to be way better. And I think a lot of teams are deciding, unless I have Vasilevsky, Shostyurkin, Broken, those five guys. Like even Hellebuck, I won't even put in that category because he fluctuates a bit. If you don't want those five guys, yeah. And like Thatcher Demko is amazing this year, but last year he was not injury related. Like if you don't want those five guys, don't spend eight million bucks on a starting goalie. Don't. You're better off spending three or four and spending that money elsewhere and making your roster better so your goalie doesn't have to do as much. Mike, uh, I'm going to end up with Cole Caulfield, who yeah. Marty St. Louis says, I'm trying to make Cole a more, com- uh, a more complete hockey player. He's not the first coach to say this about a one-dimensional or unidimensional player or a goal scorer. Uh, other coaches have tried the same things with other players. For some, it's worked. For some, it didn't work. We know Scotty Bowman wanted to make Steve Eiserman a more complete player. Mission accomplished. The same thing with Ken Hitchcock and Mike Medano. I think mission accomplished there. Some other players, it's a little bit more difficult. Credit to um, to Barry Trotz. I think he did a pretty good job with Alexander Ovechkin, too, in helping mm-hmm. him complete his game a little bit. But So we understand what Marty's trying to do. But now in the meantime, Cole Caulfield has one goal in his last 11. He's still mm-hmm. shooting the puck a lot and still leads the Canadians in shots more often than not on a nightly basis. But he's not shooting the puck with the same confidence. It almost seems like he's shooting it for the sake of shooting it. Right. To get stats and let me shoot and let's see what happens. More so than the guy who used to shoot early on in the season or at the end of last season that was shooting to score type of thing. So what do you make of Marty saying, I'm trying to make Cole a more complete hockey player and that coinciding with Cole struggling to score goals? It's perfect timing, Tony, because guess what? Last night I worked NHL Network with... Tony Granado, Cole's college coach. Of course, at Wisconsin. And we and we spent a lot of time talking about Cole. We're watching the game. It's late at night. We're just shooting the breeze and asking about what he was like. And he said essentially the same sort of thing when Cole Caulfield got there. He was such a gifted goal scorer, record setter in the U.S. NTDP, that he had to round out his game. And what, what Tony Granado was saying was that the best part about Cole Caulfield, he was so willing to work at it. Like, he wasn't saying, I'm going to score, so leave me alone. He's like, no, no, I need to get better. I understand there will be moments where I can't score quite the same in the NHL as I do here and work at it. He's not perfect. Absolutely not. The issue I think we're seeing with Cole is that you, we can talk about him rounding out his game. We can talk about him growing and understanding situational awareness and, and positioning and time and score. He doesn't evaluate himself on those terms. Not yet. He evaluates himself. He puts his self-worth as a player based on the amount of points and goals he scores. And so when that sort of dries up, even if it's with good intention of trying to change your game, you don't feel good about yourself. You lose your confidence. And I think that's what we're seeing out of Cole, a guy who's who's not quite as confident, not quite feeling so great. What we love about Cole Caulfield, that energy, that swagger, that confidence that he plays with, if you don't score for 10 games, you don't carry yourself quite with the same, you know, the peacock feathers quite so high and out there yeah and and i think marty talking about his growth away from the puck is a way to alleviate some of the pressure that cole would be putting on himself to score more so you know it's it's all part of the journey now the good news is he's going to score he's going to get he might not get 50 this year he might not even get 40 he's going to score a ton of goals in the nhl he's going to be a perennial 40-ish goal scorer maybe more when he gets better players and better power play around him but this is all part of the journey of understanding how to create 
and remembering he now, along with Nick, is like the best offensive player. Yeah. And so he gets checked accordingly. And I know it's not quite the same as it used to be going up against checking lines, but having been a guy who played in the first line and the second line and the third line, your existence is different when it's Nick Lidstrom as to when it's a second or third pair defenseman. It's, it's, it's just harder. So, yeah. you know, it's all these different things that are making offensive life a bit more difficult for him. He'll be fine. He'll get out of it. But, um, you know, he's, he's going to have to keep working at it and, uh, and embracing the stuff away from the puck. But also, I get why he doesn't feel great about himself when he doesn't score because that's what he does. So with that in mind, you're talking about matchups and trying to uh, avoid some of them. Do you think that's the thought process uh, for St. Louis splitting up Suzuki and Caulfield? Probably. Probably. And, and, and I think there's also um, a malaise, a comfort that you can set in when they play and do everything so much together. It's like they live together in the summer. Like, it's amazing. They're always around each other, which yeah. is fun. But like, you, you almost take it for granted and you just assume it's going to work and you assume every day, there's my buddy, he's my centerman. We got the same practice jersey on. We play together all the time. Just ruffling some feathers in a, in a not inflammatory way. It's never a bad idea when things get stale. Mike Johnson of TSN, always a treat. I'll talk to you soon, man. Thank you so much for today. Have a good weekend. Cheers, bud. All right, there you have it. I'm back. Okay. Uh, that was weird. I was talking and I was on mute the whole time. But anyway, I've done worse. All right, okay. Uh, thanks so much. Before we break away, my buddy Giovanni Maiolo contacted me a couple of days ago. He said, Tony, there's a great uh, cause, a great charity. Um, can you help spread the word? And I said, sure, no problem. And I did on my social media. And I said, then remind me, because there's an event coming up this Saturday, November 25th. And I said, I'll give it a plug on the show. So now it's that time and I will. It's Rock the Cause Montreal supporting the West Island Women's Shelter Saturday, November 25th at McAllen's Pub on the West Island. Seven bands. First band starts at 5 p.m. Doors open at 4 p.m. Tickets are sold at the door. So you're looking at an event that will start at around 5 p.m. and probably end close to midnight. It's an amazing event for an amazing cause, once again, supporting the West Island Women's Shelter. Uh, the uh, the SICK Podcast, I want to really thank our partners for their involvement, their participation, their support. Thank you very much to La Bitta TB, Brewed in Quebec, a winner of a dozen international awards. They offer quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste, La Bitta TB embrace your true nature playground over 600 machines poker tournaments playground casino games daily promotions unmatched customer service why go anywhere else i'm going to be going there tomorrow by the way tomorrow afternoon uh located just over the mercier bridge only minutes from downtown montreal so tomorrow afternoon if you see someone there and you think it looks like me well it's me come over say hello and let's talk Montreal Canadiens and Energy Transportation Group, a leading full service logistics provider serving all of North America, driven to be different. I might actually just show up in one of their transport trucks. Okay, okay I'm making that up. I shouldn't have said that, but anyway, maybe one day, maybe one day. Hey, so yeah, uh, to kick off this, well, I had a cannoli earlier tonight, and uh, Natalie and Dario from Patisserie La Salle on Newman Street in Villa Salle. 
They set me up with cannolis and they set me up with lobster tails. They're both two of my very favorite desserts and they make them fresh, especially for me with ricotta filled and all that stuff. Really, really amazing. Uh, if you don't know what a lobster tail is, folks, I want to show you something here. This is a lobster tail, okay? Lobster tail pastry, of course, because there are other lobster tails, which is the seafood, right? So look at it. You see it? No, I won't be able to have all of it, but I will do this. I will take a piece. And for those of you who are watching, I'll show you ricotta-filled lobster tails. Here, there's a piece for you, and here's a piece for me. Thanks for watching, everyone. Thanks for supporting. Cheers, 51 today. And as Craig Button said, it's all in the mind. And if it really is all in the mind, well, then I'm 18. Salute. La bit atibi. First time in my life I'm having beer and lobster tails. Really good. Have a great night, everyone. Thanks again for watching. Sick Podcast will be back tomorrow night after the Habs and the San Jose Sharks. First goal of the season for Josh Anderson coming up tomorrow night. We'll talk about it on Monday. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground, your premier gaming destination.